Hi, this is Wilson from Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast. After the pandemic, it's been easy to do Chipotle Church, where we get to choose how much church we want every week. Maybe I'll stay home this Sunday. I feel like opening my Bible today, but not tomorrow. I'll go to small group and not Sundays. Our City Monk series challenges this construct of church and pushes us to reorder our life around Jesus and the Sabbath. It's a call to live in contrast to a city that is busy and burnt out. Instead, we live unhurried lives, wrapping our daily and weekly schedule around being with Jesus. I hope you get a chance to check out our church on Sunday in Fullerton, California at 10 a.m. I hope you enjoy the series. Awesome. Oh, thank you so much. Good morning, guys. Um, go to sports ministry. The dads are running us out of the gym. Um, their dad strength is getting too strong. Um, so we're going to have to kick them out. We need more younger guys. Um, yeah, it's so good to be here with you guys this morning. I'm happy to be introducing our new series. Um, also, I just want to say to Pastor Wilson, if you're watching, we miss you. Um, I think about, um, I never realize how much he does until he's gone. And now that he's gone, I'm like, he does so much. So uh, we miss him so much, um, but it's a much well-deserved earned vacation. Um, so I'm happy to introduce our new series. And we're going to be jumping into Genesis, the first book of the Bible. And we're going to be jumping into the story of Joseph. And uh, we're going to be, it's kind of familiar to last year when we did our series in Lineage. But this time, we're hoping to dive a little bit deeper into God's purposes, God's providence over his life, and touching on things like destiny, temptation, forgiveness, uh, good things like that. And so um, I think it's so important that we unpack this, and I'm excited to unpack it together uh, because there's so many questions that we have around these areas. How can I be a faithful leader? How do I live in the tension of my temptations? What's my part in forgiveness? And so my hope is that this would stir for us um, good things, good things, and stir us towards the Lord. So uh, in typical Renew fashion, we're going to start off with a sermon question. You guys are going to turn to the lovely people around you, say hi, say howdy. Um, I never say howdy. I don't know why I said that. Um, But I want you guys to ask yourself, has there ever been a time when doing the right thing was hard? What do you think the purpose of it was? What, uh, what did you learn from that experience? I'm going to bring us back in three to five minutes, and then uh, we'll get started. Sounds good? Cool. That sounds pretty good conversation. Sounds like doing the right thing is pretty hard for us. Uh, we've had our fair, our, uh, fair share of experiences. Um, Why don't I pray for us, and then we'll jump in. God, thank you for this morning that we get to join hands as brothers and sisters, worshiping one God. Lord, we join hands with the millions, uh, billions this morning, Lord, to recognize that uh, you're a God that has changed our lives forever, Lord. And so we just thank you for your great faithfulness. We just ask that your Holy Spirit would guide us through your word, um, give us a deeper craving for it, help us to understand it, Help us to love it. And um, yeah, would it just bring you all the glory, honor, and praise. And God's people said, amen. Okay. Uh, Anyone here got a hydro flask like this? Anyone got one in here? Oh, nice. Okay, I see a couple. 
Uh, I love this story that I'm about to share because I actually have a few roommates here with me today that know this story. Um, but I remember in college when these things were like so hype in college in the classroom. It's when premium water bottles hit the stage. The Nalgene's no longer did it. The plastic water bottles looked a little tacky. And now everyone's repping these, these hydro flasks. They're, they're maybe $40, $50. Um, and I remember people would put stickers all over them. So they're worth like 60, 70 bucks. We're talking. These things are valuable. And everyone knew that mine were valuable. So valuable that they would take them from me. Um, so I remember in college, there was one year as my junior year, and I think uh, three were stolen from me that year. My big teal one, my small blue one, and uh, my other small blue one. Anyways, um, people were just vultures, man. They were preying on me. Uh, maybe I was too trusting. Um, but I remember in my journalism class, uh, there's this guy that left early from class. I don't know if it was because of uh, journalism or not, but he left early. And sitting right beside me was this beautiful, it's like my type of hydroflask. It was this beautiful red 64 ounce hydroflask with a paracord going over the top. So it's got utility. It's got these sweet like how's it stickers, Hawaiian stickers. I was like, this is my type. This is the hydroflask for me. Um, and so this isn't a flattering story if you can see where this is going. I don't do a lot of stories that hype me up. Um, so I'm sitting there and I'm just like, I really hope this guy's just gone for good because your boy needs a new Hydro Flask. Um, I don't condone this, by the way. Um, but anyway, so here he doesn't come back. Class ends. I stay a little after. I take this Hydro Flask because I've had three stolen from me, right? So may maybe he's the one that stole it from me. And so I'm going back to my dorm, and I remember I had this roommate uh, named Josh. And uh, me and Josh, we're, we're pals, we're buddies. And he comes in, and I came home, I cleaned out the Hydro Flask, I threw new ice in it, I was like sipping cold water from it. And uh, he walks in the room, and he's like, oh, you got a new Hydro Flask. And I was like, yeah, it's pretty cool, huh? And uh, he's like, why do the stickers look used? And I was like, well, I may have found it in a classroom. And he says, you don't plan on bringing it back, do you? And I said, uh, no, I don't. And he's like, so you stole it. And I was like, I don't want to get into semantics, but I mean, I, I did, I, I, I deserve this. I got three taken from me, remember? And then I remember him saying something to me that cut flesh and bone. It was, it was the Holy Spirit, sharper than any sword. He said, I hope every time you take a sip from that water bottle, you're reminded of your sin. <laughs> and I was like, well, now I can't drink from this ever again. You've completely ruined the experience, and now I hate you. And um, I just remember lashing out on him in my fits of anger. I wasn't looking at my own sin. I wasn't looking at my own self. I was just saying, oh, you want to play the sin war? All right, what about you? What about this, 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 and this? And I just remember being filled with so much anger. I eventually returned the Hydro Flask uh, very bitterly. And I wish somebody would have told me a long time ago, a lot earlier, that I had the wrong perspective. I wish somebody would have told me that there is someone in the Bible and story that I'm being just like Joseph's brothers. And so when I, I think about this, it took me so long to realize that Josh was being faithful to call me out.
and that I'm better for it. I'm a lot better for it. And so if you're with me, let's open up to Genesis 37. We're diving deep into the story of Joseph, and Joseph had a lot of negative tensions too. He uh, was faithful in the big and the small things. He even experienced a lot of hate for it on the level of a hydro flask. And if you guys remember our lineage series last year and the patriarchs, Joseph is the son of Jacob. He's a patriarch. It's kind of like the early fathers that God would make a promise, a covenant with. Um, and his people were also referred to as a seed. And this seed or this remnant were God's people that he would preserve through the ends of times to fill the earth. So we have covenant, promise, and seed. At this point in the first book of the Bible, God's people has not yet settled in the promised land yet. Um, they're kind of in this tension right now. And at this time, the ancient world is struggling, kind of with the usuals. They're struggling with intermarriage with foreign nations uh, and worshiping false idols and pagan gods. There's famine in the land and a long history of family division and violence. These are all things that threaten the seed, the survival of the seed. These are things that threaten the covenantal line. And so um, here Joseph is in the tension for this born purpose in time. And God will continue his promises and faithfulness through him. So let's jump in. Verse 2 says, if you're with me, um, Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Let's pause right here. This tells us a lot about Joseph already. Just like all of us, uh, Joseph woke up one day and he had to go to work. Uh, he had to be a shepherd and care for his family's flock. And this time he noticed his brothers were acting up. They're acting a fool. They're uh, acting inappropriately, non-faithfully. Whatever it was, it was enough to warrant a bad report. This tells us that Joseph was faithful to his father to report it. And that's not easy. I'm a, I'm a younger brother. I think I have one brother in the, in the crowd right now, in the congregation right now. And being a younger brother is not easy. I, I've never told on my brothers without being absolutely terrified for my life. I remember I'd tell my mom that my brothers hit me or I'd fabricate a story that they hit me. And once she punishes them, it's just complete fear because she's resolved, she's leaving the situation and it's just my brother's eyes staring at me saying, I'm going to kill you. And um, so it is terrifying to report on your older brothers. The real vets know to not leave their mother's sight, though. Um, they can't hit you when she's around. So uh, that's a pro tip. But so Joseph reports on the brothers in the flock here. In the first verse, we already see so much of his character. And so how does the family respond to Joseph's obedience and favor? Well, the brothers kind of respond similar to like how I did with the red hydro flask. Verse 3 says, now Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. This leads to my first point. Faithfulness finds favor with God, but not always with others. 
translation, maturity is being concerned with what pleases God rather than what pleases others. Because that's truly what the Lord is looking for, isn't it? That God is so much more concerned with your character rather than your comfort. But man, when we read these first three verses, I feel like I'm in like a, a reality TV show. I feel like I'm in like an ancient reality TV show because it's so tense. It's so awkward. I couldn't imagine coming home from a day of work and my dad says, come around everyone, gather around the table. I made this beautiful robe for my son, Kevin, and I wanted you guys to all see it. I know this is a robe that I would usually make for my oldest son, uh, that signifies inheritance and blessing, but I'm giving it to Kevin because he's my favorite. I hope you guys have a great night. Get along, everyone. <laughs> but I just think there's just so much tension here, but in this tension, God will bless faithfulness. God will not bless faithlessness. So in bestowing Joseph this robe, it confirmed two things to us. First, Joseph found favor in being faithful. He showed that he could prove to be faithful in his job, that he'd be proved to be faithful and trustworthy in telling and reporting to his father. And it tells us a second thing, the brothers' reactions showed they were never fit to receive such a blessing to begin with. Their anger was at Joseph. It was never at their father or even at their own sin, even at their own uh, wrongdoings but they were just showing their marks of immaturity in the way that they couldn't even see their own sin. Again, in Proverbs it says, foolish are the ways of the wicked. So let's see where this goes. Does it get even more tense? Uh, verse five says, Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream guys. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Verse 9 says, Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another one. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? So awkward. Can you imagine sitting around at the breakfast table and Joseph coming and saying, I had this weird dream, guys, that I was gonna be the ruler of you all, and it's gonna come true. But there's this fascinating thing that's going here that attests to the richness of God's word. And the first is that dreams were seen and highly regarded as God's revelation in the ancient world. It was customary, especially to share it with others that were involved in it. So Joseph was actually being faithful and just sharing with his brothers, hey, this is what's going to happen. This is what I heard. This is what I saw. And another beautiful thing that's happening here is that this first dream was agricultural. It had sheaves and grain in it. And this is a foreshadow for how the Lord would use Joseph later on. That Egypt would experience a famine and that they would need a wise ruler um, that could come up with agricultural practices they've never heard of, like saving up your grains and storing them. That was unheard of in the ancient world because when they were hungry, when they reaped their first fruits, their harvest, they just ate it. They just ate it before it went bad or anything like that. They just wanted to eat it because they don't know when their next meal is coming. But here Joseph is, 
is teaching them that we need to store it because there's a year of famine coming and there's years of plenty coming. Secondly, what's happening here is I love the irony here with Jacob that Jacob would rebuke his own son right here, that he would have the audacity to, because Jacob's thought process here is, uh, the irony here is that he's now seeing a younger brother who is chosen by God, who received a vision, and he's thinking, even though it happened to me, I don't think it's going to happen to anyone else. It's probably not going to happen again. I'm going to rebuke this. And I think it's so funny to me that Jacob, that was his story too, and now we see it in Joseph again that the Lord is redeeming things and has a plan. So if you're tracking, Joseph has now been chosen by Jacob, his own father, given a robe and inheritance, and twice chosen by God through dreams. God has a plan and purpose. If you remember, he told Abraham, I will make a great nation out of you. This is covenant. I will give you a land flowing of milk and honey, this is the seed where he wants to bless it, where he wants it to multiply. And I will multiply the seed as many as the stars as they are in heaven. This is promise. God has a plan and purpose here. So Joseph was a shepherd and given a responsibility, and he was faithful with it. He was given a robe, and he received it. He was given a dream, and he shared it. And this leads to my second point. The Lord will use the one who is faithful in little things to have authority over greater things. It asks us to examine ourselves. Are we being faithful with what's already been entrusted to us now? Are we being faithful with what we've been given now? We all have a lot of dreams, a lot of hopes, a lot of places that we want to take our lives. We have our five-year plan, our 10-year plan, but the Lord is saying, are you being faithful with what you have now so I can entrust greater things to you in the future? The mature Christian is faithful with what's before them. Areas like the workplace, are we faithful with our relationships there? Are we seeing them as mission fields and as distinct places the Lord has called us to, to share the gospel, to penetrate with Christ's love? Are we resolving conflict in our lives? Are we carrying Christ's forgiveness in our hearts? With our finances, are we being faithful in giving it back to what's already been given to us? And to our city, when we think of the least of these, do we think of them? Do we think of why there may be placed in Fullerton in our vicinity, in reach, in access to ourselves? Are we being faithful with what's already entrusted to us? When I think of being faithful in the little things, um, I was thinking of all these stories and illustrations to share. I had two or three. Um, but for some reason, maybe there's a reason why it's a shameless plug, but I was thinking of Royal Family Kids Camp. Um, and what's funny about this, maybe it's like I'm thinking of being faithful in the little things and it's like the little ones, something like that. Um, but maybe it's coming up with summer and I'm just so stoked uh, to go back to camp. Um, but whatever it is, my role at camp is like, uh, they call it, I think, assistant cabin leader. But uh, when I really think of it, it's really like, I feel like I'm a junior cadet. Like I really, I'm really like so low on the totem pole it's like there's like the biggest kid in camp, and then like I'm like one notch above him in authority. Um, even him, he could like maybe raise his voice over me and beat me. Um, but when I think about being faithful in the little things with them, it's all these small things. 
It's making sure they have sunscreen on, making sure they wash their hands, that they set the table and that they clean up the table, playing games with them, making sure that they're ready for bed and that they have all their needs taken care of. But when I think about these little things, they seem so little to us. But for these foster care kids, um, for these foster kids, uh, they've never maybe experienced these little things before ever. And so now these little things are big things. It's an unforgettable uh, week. You know, we've been hearing so much about Royal Family Kids Camp and I couldn't be more excited. Um, please get involved in any way, just once. And, and you know by now that our church has such a big heart for foster care kids, uh, at-risk youth here in Fullerton, that we would be God's family to them, that they would have father-like figures here. They would have mother-like figures here, aunties, uncles, big brothers, big sisters. And we would have a big vision that this would be their home in Orange County, that it would be a place where they could be mentored, cared for, even adopted here. Maybe even be a part of our youth ministry, our college ministry. And I can't help but think that God has us as assistant cabin leaders with a purpose, to start for a reason. Junior cadets, um, that we would be faithful in these little things, like being, in a relation, like being in relationship with them, showing up on time, laughing at their jokes, speaking life over them, engaging with them, so that he would one day prepare our hearts for more, that he would one day prepare our hearts for more things that he wants to do with our church, with our hearts, with our call, that it would go much beyond a one-week camp, but it would be two, three, or even more. The Lord will use the one who is faithful in little things to have authority over greater things. Going back to Joseph, something that's really, really cool about him. Is there anyone here named Joseph here? I think there should be one. There's another one, two, we got three, two, three. Um, I knew there was one out there. So Joseph's name in Hebrew actually is, translates, it's, it comes from Yasaf, which means to increase. And so Joseph's name actually translates to he will add, God will provide. And I think there's such a beauty in these names um, that we would later see, I can't touch on this part, is like geeky, greeky part. I can't touch on this too much, but he would even name his son's Hebrew names too, even though he dwells in the land of Egypt, saying that I belong, my family belongs to the house of the Lord. But anyways, you don't need to hear all that. Anyways, Joseph's name is really cool. And it, it's, it's his destiny, and the Lord completely did that. We see how it's beautifully woven into Scripture. So if you're still with me, we're going to skip over to verse 17 through 19. And I'm just going to zoom through 12 through 16. Uh, Joseph has now just told his family two dreams. He just laid it into them. These are the dreams. I don't know what you want me to do about it. Um, and his dad is pretty much like, well, it doesn't look like the dreams here today. You got to go back to work. So Joseph is now being sent out to go to the flocks to go meet his brothers. And he tells them, go to uh, Shechem where they should be. And what's really interesting here is when Joseph gets to Shechem, where's his brothers? They're not there. Maybe it's another bad report coming. Um, but anyways, they're not there. And then the Lord says, a guy said, uh, says there, maybe they're up in Dothan. Head up there now. And so now the Lord is sending Joseph north again to Dothan, where conveniently it's located on a major trade route headed straight to Egypt. God's providence. 
And so anyways, so now we are here, verse 17, Joseph has now arrived to Dothan. He's seeing his brothers. He's like, why are you here? Um, but they see him in the distance, verse 18 says, and before he reached them, they were plotting to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Notice how they don't even call him by his name. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits and say that a ferocious animal has devoured him. Then we'll see what becomes of those dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. And as they sat down to eat their meal, I find this, I pause, I find this part to be so funny because I think about who is the real ferocious animal here. But as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the pit and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. 20 shekels is about five grand in today's, uh, today's money. So I don't know, it's about the normal price of a slave back then. But uh, man, 5K for your brother, that's tough. Um, but what I think is here, we won't get to touch upon, is that there's a cautionary tale here. That this is what happens when anger and envy and hatred go unchecked. See how the brothers grew in their hatred and the fruits that came from it, they plotted, they whispered, they couldn't say nice words about him, and now it led to actions. <clears throat> In recapping the event later, Genesis 42:21 says, uh, just talking about the event and reflecting on it, they said, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. My third and final point is, the great test of faith is to wait on God. That God, that Joseph knew that God would fight his battles. And as he sat there uh, in that pit in anguish, feeling betrayal, feeling, feeling doom and gloom and everything in between, Joseph also knew that God was the God. Exactly the dream that I had. You know, this is a lot different than the dream I thought I was going to have but still remembering that God has given him this dream and he will be faithful to see it through. Wait on the Lord. So God had plans for Joseph, but they were different than what he imagined. Plans for him to be resilient, plans for him to be a wise ruler, to be obedient, so that he would better serve Egypt and his purpose for time to come. And so the path may appear windy to us, for a lot of us, we might feel like we're in a pit now. But God makes it straight towards his purposes. And it's in this pit that we look back, and I think we realize that we were never alone to begin with. Even though in that pit it feels so alone and in despair, I think when we look back, we can trace God's faithfulness. I was uh, chopping up with Rocco this past week, and just chatting with him at small group. And he was just sharing a little bit of a tidbit that I really, really, really appreciated. And he was sharing about how he's entering into this new season. 
and how some of his most difficult seasons lately were actually the moments where he felt the most blessed. And that it was because he depended on the Lord the most that he actually is going to kind of miss those times. And I went home that night and sitting on that, and I thought how profound but how true that was and how rich that it's in these moments, in these spaces and trials that we can sometimes feel the closest, we can often feel the closest to the Lord, that our best battles are won on bended knee, that in our pits we cling to the Lord most. And so we're waiting on the Lord, knowing that the battle is his, knowing he has a plan and purpose for our lives. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you. Plans to not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. I wanted to share this quote uh, with you before I, I wrap up and finish. And I think this is a quote I believe Joseph would have resonated so much with. It's from uh, Charles Spurgeon, a great theologian from the 19th century, and it says here, tested faith brings experience. You would never have believed your own weakness had you not needed to pass through trials. And you would have never known God's strength had his strength not been needed to carry you through. And so when we look back at these tests and trials, I hope that we can trace God's faithfulness through it. That we can go back this memory and say, God, where were you here? Oh, there you were. I see you here. You're faithful here too. I see what you're doing here now. I wasn't able to see it because all I saw was pit in this and darkness and despair, but I can see that you've been faithful all along. And when we can trace this faithfulness, we can know that God is faithful in the future too. Would you pray with me? God, I just thank you um, that you are with us in the pit and in the wilderness, and you are never farther away or ever closer than you are now, Lord. So thank you that you are a God that is, that is with us through it. And I just pray that this would just dwell with us richly, Lord, that as we just reflect about uh, the great faithfulness of Joseph and what that means for us, Lord, how you've called us to be distinct, how you've called us to be set apart, Lord, how you've called us to live for you, Lord. I just pray that you would give us the same spirit, Lord, a spirit of, of boldness of when it's unpopular, a spirit of, of, of contentment and peace, knowing that we're living each day for you and that we are purposing every part of our lives, Lord, that we are not keeping any, any room or any, any place to ourselves, but Lord, we offer them to you and surrender. And God, as life uh, t knocks us down or hits us or we're faced with tests and trials, would, be, would we be reminded of this story of Joseph in the pit, Lord, knowing that you are working all things together for our good, for according to your purposes, Lord. So thank you that we know this to be true. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who has sealed our faith, who has made us clean white as snow through his righteousness and not ours. We thank you, Lord, um, and we just ask that we would just continue to praise you with all that we have today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, this is Pastor Wilson again. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If our sermons have been a blessing to you, I'd love for you to consider supporting our church and ministry. As we approach the end of the year, 
We're asking our church family to consider investing into a special fund that support our interns and seminarians. Renew has a vision of investing in pastors for the next generation through our internship program. And your financial partnership can help set up a young pastor or missionary to faithfully serve the Lord for the next 30 to 40 years. I often dream about what Irwin or Kevin will do for the kingdom of God through their 30s, 40s, and 60s. Our goal is to raise $50,000 over the season. Would you consider joining us? You can give through PayPal or Venmo or by sending a check. All the information is on the description section of the podcast, or you can visit our website. And your investment is tax deductible. Thank you so much for being a part of our church family. If you're ever in the Fullerton, California area, please drop by into our Sunday service. I'd love to meet you. God bless.